Have you ever wondered what it takes to build a successful business in the Australian property industry? Well, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Business and Property Development, a monthly podcast in which industry leaders share their insights and experience with host Harry Karadimus. Hello and welcome to the June episode of Business and Property Development. This month, we'll be focusing on the area of development finance. My guest joining me is Fabian DeMarco, founder and managing director of Commercial and Construction Capital. In this episode, we'll be discussing the ins and outs of using non-bank finance for the funding of property developments. As you'll come to see, the world of non-bank finance is incredibly interesting and diverse in its breadth of offerings. Fabian's expertise in this field allows him to sift through a myriad of possibilities to find the right type of finance for his development partners. This episode has a slightly different format from my previous ones. We've got a mix of Fabian's business building know-how and we've also got a really informative session on what non-bank capital is and how it gets used in the property development process. We spoke at length about these two key areas, so the episode has been divided into three parts. Part one, we cover Fabian's early days, how he got into finance and his journey in establishing commercial and construction capital. In part two, we discuss what non-bank capital is, why it's come about and some of the advantages of using it over more traditional funding pathways. And part three is a continuation of that conversation where we discuss areas like the inherent risks involved in going down a non-bank funding pathway and therefore why it's important to consider using a broker. We wrap up by returning to some of Fabian's lessons learned as a result of his exposure and specialization in this niche field. So without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Fabian DeMarco. Fabian, welcome to the podcast and thanks for being with me today. Thanks, Harry. I'm very excited to be here today. Today, we're going to be talking about non-bank lending and brokerage. Actually seems like a a pretty timely conversation to have given the amount of news around non-bank. I was reading actually pretty much every day this week a different story about uh, non-bank lenders appearing and also the amount of private capital that's starting to flow into development deals. So it's a timely exercise. Before we begin though, I'd like to get a bit of an understanding of who you are and what you do. And so I'd like to ask you a couple of brief questions to put some context around yourself. So if you could uh, start by telling me where you were born and where you grew up. Born and raised in Sydney, son of immigrant parents. Grew up uh, close to this area, actually. What about where you went to school? Mm -hmm. I went to school at Holy Cross College at Ryde. And uh, what about post-schooling? So look, I had a bit of an interesting journey up to the age of 19. I hadn't even given a thought to a career in terms of a profession outside of sport. So I was an aspiring professional football player, soccer player. So all through high school, university was not even a topic that was entertained in my house. It was strongly stamped on by myself as soon as my parents brought it up because I was adamant that professional soccer was going to be my uh, my pathway. As I got older, I started realizing that it takes more than skill to make it at, at the elite level. You need to have the right attitude. You need to have discipline. And unfortunately, at the age of 18 to, to 20, I was more concerned with going out, having fun, chasing girls and, and the rest of it. So my discipline started to fade despite having a bit of talent. 
I did a, a little bit of study. I've done a certificate for in financial services. I've done my RG146 in securities, derivatives, managed investments. And yeah, I've, I've just had a lot of on-the-job training. I've just built up knowledge and, and expertise in, in the lending space. So beyond your studies in financial services, how did you progress from what transitioning out of a, a sporting-based career into a, a more corporate yeah. environment? Like, Where did you go? I, I just got my foot in the door anywhere I could. I eventually got my foot in the door in an admin role. Uh, and then like with everything, you, you sort of roll on the back of, of that, slowly built up a, a little bit of experience until I finally found myself in uh, a bit more of a, a senior role in with, the lending space. With the, lending, yeah. with the lender? So what were, you, what were you responsible for? Originally, all I was responsible for was admin stuff and mm. processing and data entry and, and all of that. And then I slowly started learning a little bit more about credit assessment. I was, I was working a little bit on the credit assessment side, always in between sort of admin, credit. And then I, I'm naturally more of an outgoing person. Uh, I like to be out and about doing deals and getting things done. So I eventually found my way more into the sales side of things with, with lending. Got an opportunity to be a, a mobile lender and then I just sort of went on from there. I sort of worked across three different banks over a period of five, six years. And then I had a bit of a career change around, I think I was watching a lot of stock market, Wall Street type movies uh, at the time. I think Boiler Room had just come out. And all of a sudden, I, I just got this urge that I had to work in financial markets. Uh, so I, I didn't want to work in lending anymore. I wanted to be a trader, a stockbroker. I, had a, I started having a look around for some opportunities and I found a company that was dealing in derivatives, warrant trading, went for an interview. It wasn't paying a lot. It was a small base salary, but very large commissions. Uh, I was sold on the fact that it was going to be a, a very, very high commission earning role. The brokers there were, were taking home very, very high figures and being a bit young, I was very seduced and I promptly handed in my resignation to Citibank. <laughs> off to pursue the many millions that I was supposed to have made. Um, about three months into that role, I don't know if anyone has seen the movie Boiler Room. This was exactly like that. It's one of those moments where, you know, people often say, you know, it's nothing like the movies. Well, this actually was like the movies. Yeah. So I was pretty blown away. Uh, one thing that I, I sort of really value in business is integrity. Uh, working in, in this environment, and, and this is not to say that all environments in, in this industry are like this, but this particular firm that I was working at, I, I won't say they were doing anything wrong, but it, it was certainly encouraged for you to be super aggressive uh, sometimes, not to the, to the betterment of the client. After three months, uh, I just decided I, I want to make money, but I don't want to make it at the expense of other people. Other people. I, I handed in my resignation and I tried to get an, another role in, in financial markets, but obviously with three months experience, it doesn't look good on your CV. And I wasn't too keen on mentioning the company that I just came from as a reference. So uh, I luckily ended up finding myself back into another role. It was similar. It was in FX. And then uh, a dream job came along. I uh, got offered a role to work for a hedge fund as a, a business development manager. That was going along well until, unfortunately, that company decided to shut their operations in Australia. That opportunity slipped through my fingers. Evaporated again? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I was at the point where I was thinking, okay, you know, do I continue with this financial markets dream or do I look to go back into to the lending space where I've got some expertise? And I, I made the decision, an opportunity came up with NAB to join their lending team. They were building out a new uh, mobile lending team and I decided to move forward with, with that opportunity and 
and I haven't looked back since. So you, yeah, a bit I, of a tangent, but yeah, came back to yeah. Came I, back to I ended I ended up back in in the lending space. I've sort of pivoted from retail lending now more to commercial and development finance, but still the core of it is is lending. Is lending, yeah. yeah. Where does the transition? out of retail and working for somebody else and then transitioning into running your own operations. What was that point in time or was there something that happened? Yeah. Or did you just feel like you had enough experience or you just thought, you know what, I actually can maybe do it a little bit better? Or yeah. Look, I must confess, when I was younger, I've always been entrepreneurial by nature. When I was younger, my ambition to have my own business and be entrepreneurial was primarily driven by a desire to be rich. I wanted to be wealthy. I wanted to, you know, everyone watches TV and the movies and thank God there was no social media when I was 18, 19. But yeah, it was always just to have my own business. I wanted to make uh, serious money and, and, and live a good life. After I had my first child, my son, my priorities slowly started shifting a little bit. And it, was, it wasn't until the birth of my second son where I started realizing that the the desire to have my own business wasn't driven purely out of money. It was driven now more so to be able to, I suppose, have a balance where I can spend time with them, where I'm able to be very active in their life. So that was a bit of a driver for me. I was working in the bank when I made the decision. I was working for BOQ as a bank manager. It was at a time where lending was really quite strong. People were borrowing, property was was pretty solid. So I just thought, you know what, if, if ever I'm gonna try something on my own, now's the time. Once again, I threw caution to the wind. Wasn't as smooth sailing <laughs> as never is <laughs> as uh, everyone. I heard a great quote by the gentleman who started LinkedIn, and he said, "You know, starting a business for an entrepreneur is a bit like jumping off a cliff in a plane, but trying to assemble the pieces of the plane whilst you're coming off the cliff. Not having the plane built, yeah. jumping off the cliff, and trying to assemble the pieces of the plane while you're on the way down." That's what it sort of felt like the start, yeah, of starting yeah. the business. But you also did it with a young family. So you had two kids? Yeah, at I had, point in time. when I first launched the brokerage, I had my wife had just given birth to our second child. That in itself was a crazy time, let alone starting the business literally the same, almost the same week. When you look back on these things, you might see them as being sort of quite aggressive. But at the same time, if you give it too much thought, I think there's a real risk that you actually wouldn't go about doing yeah. it. I have a very, very similar um, experience where I, I was quite aggressive in how I yeah. pursued the start of my business. But looking back on it now, it was an incredibly crazy and very stressful time. But I reckon if I'd thought about it yeah. just a little bit more, decided to sort of plan it out, I may not have been doing what I'm doing today. And I would never give that up for anything. So, yeah, well, yeah right. it's a very similar it's kind of like story. jumping in a pool on a cold day. <laughs> on a cold day, yeah, just just get in there, <laughs> yeah. the initial sting, but you just write it out. That's so, right. when you first began uh, commercial and construction capital, how did you start? So, I, I originally started as a full service brokerage. I did home loans, I did equipment finance, I did business loans, I did commercial property loans, development finance, you name it, anything that, that had a, a finance piece to it. I was open for business to do. As time went on, I, I started realizing that I had more of a passion for the commercial side of, of the business. And I changed the focus of, of the brokerage from, I suppose, a full service brokerage to a commercial offering. I still did home loans, but my marketing was more geared towards just the commercial side of it. 
again, I was I was finding that I was just for some reason just drawn to that development finance space. I really enjoyed property development. I, I enjoyed understanding how projects were put together, how developers would take a piece of dirt and turn it into to this profitable thing. So I really started focusing in on development finance. And look, about two years ago, I, I decided to rebrand rebranded my trading name and I decided to launch in in a niche space which is development finance and focus purely on that non-bank private space. I had a gut feeling that non-bank private space was was going to grow exponentially over the next few years uh, mainly because banks were starting to really tighten up their policies. It was getting harder for developers to get capital to build things and I just thought there is a real gap in that in that space. And look, at first, it was a big risk. I, I did go back and forth. You know, in my head, I'm playing the, the story. What happens if you, you get a, a $2 million home loan? You know, are you just going to walk away from, from that check? Uh, or what happens if someone comes to you and, and wants you to do you know, a $3 million asset finance deal? Are you, are you just going to say no? And I thought, oh, I'm going to be leaving a lot of money on the table by saying no to all these things. But then I started thinking, that's one side of it, but being specialized, you can then start to hone in on a lot of opportunities that maybe you wouldn't have got if you weren't a specialist. I made sure that I started developing expertise and experience in that. And believe it or not, since since I made that change and started focusing in on that, I've actually had the opposite effect. I've actually been probably more busy generating far more inquiries than I would have when I was basically a, a generalist, a generalist and, yeah. and did everything. It's not to say that there's brokers out there that are generalists that, that aren't doing very well. But for me personally, I'm one of those guys that I zone in on something and I just go for it. That's also playing to your strengths. I mean, if you're someone who prefers to uh, hone in on a, on a particular yeah. sort of topic and not spread yourself too thin, then that's right. obviously you're just playing to your, to your strengths and that seems to sort yeah. of come across in your business yeah. as well. With the beginnings of of the business, and now that you're into now that you're into a very specialised niche when it comes to to lending, what were some of the really unglamorous things that you had to do just to start getting your foothold yeah. into that sort of space? I wish I could give you some some fancy, uh, exciting plan that I implemented that whoever's listening to this can go, oh great, that sounds beautiful. I can take that on and, and do the same thing. When I was starting out the business probably about four or five years ago when I was in that brokerage side of the business, I sent an email to a senior broker in the industry that was doing quite well and very focused on that development space. And I asked him if I could take him to lunch and just pick his brain a bit. And he said, yes. So we went out, we had lunch and I just tried to, to basically get some insights on what it takes to build a you know, highly successful uh, business in this space. He said a lot of good things to me at that meeting, but one thing he said that just stuck in my head, he said, Fabian, you have to press the flesh. What does that mean? He goes, you have to get out there and meet people and say hello and shake their hand and, and tell them about your business and tell them what you do. Whenever I find myself now just sort of thinking, okay, I'd like to get some, some more deal flow, I'd like to get things happening, all I do is I revert back to that. And I just get out there and I just start seeing people. I don't worry about whether there's a deal there to be done or not. I just get out there and, and motion creates, you know, activity and activity then flows on. My day's made up of a 24-hour business plan. You know, if you were to ask me, show me your business plan, it's a 24-hour plan and it's as boring as, as anything. But it's consistent. It's consistent. Yeah. And that's how you attain consistent results. 
So on the back of those bits of advice that you started piecing together, what and who were the kinds of people that had that sort of profound impact on the way you were able to sort of piece things together, like piece that plane together as you jumped yeah. off the cliff? Who were they and, and what did yeah. they do? There, there was one mentor that probably gave me a lot of lot of wisdom, especially in the business space. And, and I don't mind mentioning his name. His name is Mohammed Hash. Very, very influential, very, very positive. When I started working for him, I was younger. I was very inexperienced in terms of the markets and how ruthless they can be. He sat me down once and said, look, do you want me to tell you what you want to hear or do you want to tell me to tell you what you need to hear? And he just started really drilling into me some some realities about the business world. Was very, very adamant that you know your integrity has to be at the forefront of that. If you're looking to build long-term relationships and, and a long-term business, integrity and honesty have to be number one. And that stuck with me. But it was always very important to me, but he really drilled it home to me, uh, especially with business, how important it is. Probably when I was younger, I was as, I, as you probably would have heard, I was very ambitious. Uh, he slowed me down a lot in my thinking and started getting me to think a bit more strategic about things, having a little bit more of a vision. Those sort of lessons are priceless. And I'm a big believer of paying it forward. As much help that I've had from, from mentors and, and friends, uh, I always try to pass that on to other people. Tell me some, about some of your early deals when you, when you were just getting into the specialization of development finance. In the early days, I sort of had this, for some reason, this glass ceiling where all of my deals were very, very small, very, very small. I'm talking like 150, 200,000, 300,000 for, for this space that's very, very small. And these were just obscure sites, you know, in remote locations being bought. The ironic thing is that you probably put the same amount of work and effort into a deal that is worth 200,000 as a deal that's maybe a site purchase that's worth 5 million. It's the same process. You follow the same process, you write your credit paper, you go through the same process with the lender, valuations, etc. It was the universe's way of just sort of conditioning me and making me earn the my stripes, mm. uh, so to speak. And then just over time, uh, the deal started getting bigger and bigger. And there were a lot of, I suppose, in the early days, a lot of lessons to be learnt. The, the one thing, which I'm sure we'll touch on later, but that, that non-bank private space is an unregulated market. But let's just say that there was a lot of, lot of education, not just around lending, but around lenders throughout that period, that early period in, in understanding, you know, which lenders are, are trustworthy, which ones are not, which ones look like they're trustworthy, but deep down are not. Was there a, a point in time where... It was a bit of a tipping point in the business where, you know, that glass ceiling was starting to get smashed on a regular basis. Was there, was there a deal where things started coming off the back of that? I'd like to say there was. The truth of the matter is there hasn't been a moment like that. It's what feels like a grind every day. But if you look up all of a sudden and look back, you feel like you haven't moved at all. But then when you look back and see where you've come from, you notice that you have actually moved exponentially. I probably don't notice it as much because of this 24-hour business plan mentality that I have. My day is the same. My work ethic, my structure, it's, it's the same whether I've done $100,000 worth of lending today or $50 million. 
mm. uh, it's, it's going to be the same tomorrow. The grind, the, the working, the strategic uh, vision, all of that is, is what gets me up. I enjoy that part of it. If, if someone said to me, I can hand you your business that's finished in 10 years time and it's worth X amount, I'll just give it to you right now. Where, where's the fun? Where's the journey? Mm. Where, where's the excitement? The drink at the end won't taste as good as it will if you've walked the path and Done the hard yards. Fallen over and had your mm. head stomped on a few times and been laughed at. So with that gradual progression, what have you worked your way up into these days? What are the kinds of projects that you can help to facilitate? I don't turn away business in the development finance space. So I could do something as small as a duplex. We can, we can arrange funding for a duplex, standard duplex or a site purchase for a duplex, something like that, right up to large scale construction. Large scale construction could be any 100 million plus. One thing that, that I've chosen to focus on, which is sometimes a little bit different maybe to the norm, I believe sales is a direct reflection of your expertise. So if you want to generate more clients, if you want to generate more business, don't go out there and try and be a better salesperson. Go out there and be a better expert. So try and improve yourself so that you're better. I just focus on daily trying to improve my expertise, which is why I don't mind sinking my teeth into deals, pulling them apart. Even if I know this might not go anywhere, sometimes I just like to do it. Get a look at the feasibility, understand it. How could this be done? And just get as much, I suppose, knowledge as I can. This is the end of the first part of the episode. I hope you've enjoyed listening to Fabian's journey so far. Coming up will be part two, where we discuss what non-bank capital is, why it's come about, and the advantages of using it over more traditional funding pathways, like using the money of a big four bank. See you soon.